Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. Man, I I am with family. I, I have to look around right now and just be so overwhelmed at all that this ministry has done to make the Dream Center what it is. There are 700 people that are living in our building today, hundreds of people coming off drugs and alcohol, families that were homeless, human trafficking victims, you name it, all living in our building because of every one of you and this ministry. So when I talk about this today, everything I talk about, you are a part of. I'm not talking about like a a token part of, like heart and soul, practically everything that's been built on the Dream Center has been built by Free Chapel. Recovery program, you guys pay for the whole thing. Homeless families, the whole thing. Um, we're just going to call it the, the, free, the Freedom, Freedom House Church. I mean, whatever. I mean, it's like everywhere that we go. And uh, the other day I was um, walking. Um, uh, well, I got traded Justin Turner through the Dream Center. He's one of our supporters. And uh, he goes, who's Free Chapel? And uh, I, go, I go, what do you mean? He goes, their name and plaque is on every single building here on this campus. And uh, and I said, well, you too could join Free Chapel and join them by making a donation today. No, but, uh, but we're, we're just, I'm just so thrilled to be with you. You guys are family. I love you. I run the risk of thanking you the whole sermon, but I'm going to get right to it. But thank you for all that you mean to us. Pastor Ben, he preaches for us like three times a year on Thursday night. His sermon is so good, I got to check him for steroids. I mean, when he's done, it's like, it, his sermon is so good on Thursday nights. It's like, I tell my church, rerun that on Sunday. I just, no, no need to even follow up on it. What a dynamic communicator. And of course, Pastor Jensen, love you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. I'm going to speak on the subject of outlast everything. There is a battle right now in our world for God's people to not lose heart. For God's people to... Rise up in courage. You see, the last few years, there's been a lot of things that are trying to take away the life out of us. A lot of uh, things that have gone on, they're trying to take away that, that spark. I'm going to just speak to that here today. I believe the Lord is going to encourage you. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in a little while, he is coming and will not delay, but by my righteous one will live by faith And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong. I love that to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Lord, use this word today. I pray that people walk out of this building and they won't say what a great sermon. They would say, what a great God in Jesus name. Amen. A lot of people ask me, you know, what is, what is the secret of ministry? I've been pastoring for 29 years. And they'll say, what is the secret of ministry? And I said, the secret of ministry is breaking your life down to 24-hour miracles. And that miracle isn't always the explosive thing that happens in our life. That miracle is sometimes just hanging around long enough to get to the connection point of what God wants to do later down the road. You see, many times we see that miracles are explosive things that happen, but could it be that the miracle that's going on in your life is a miracle of you staying in what God has called you to do long enough to clip off the coupon of the reward that he has later for you? And I believe that today God's going to give you supernatural endurance. My hope is that you walk out of here and you have the power to outlast everything in life that would try to destroy you. When I came to L.A. at 20 years of age, I came to pastor in L.A. only because my dad could not find a pastor. 
He inherited uh, out of Phoenix, Arizona, Tommy Barnett, got a little old building that nobody could find in downtown Los Angeles, ravaged by gang warfare in 1994. And they asked him if he can come and take over this church. Um, they said, if not, the banks are going to get it and the church is going to lose another iconic facility that was born at the Azusa Street Revival. Pastor Tommy, can you save it? He said, sure, I will. I don't want it to go to the banks. I said, Dad, what's your plan? He said, I have no plan. I just didn't want the banks to get it. I wanted to belong to God's kingdom. And so my dad uh, flew out to L.A., drove a bunch of pastors around and said, would you like to pastor a church in L.A.? And they were so excited. They were like, yeah, L.A. You know, they were thinking Hollywood. Um, <laughs> We told him the church is on Sunset Boulevard, but <laughs> Sunset starts at an interesting point until it gets where it needs to go, right? But, uh, but my dad uh, drove around the neighborhood and told him the vision, and they turned around the corner, and they saw gang members trying to break in. And every single one of these guys said, I don't feel led of the Holy Spirit to come and pastor the church. And so my dad couldn't find a pastor, so he asked me to come and pastor the church at 20 years of age. For three months, he said, son, I only need you for three months. I'm going to give you 10 sermons, and you just um, and you can preach them for my notes, and, um, and I'll just kind of tell you what to preach. You'll be out here in three months. You'll be back to Bible school, and everything will go good. Well, it's 29 years now, and we're still looking for the real pastor 29 years later. You know, when, you know, I came from a mega church, like a 12,000 member church and all that in Phoenix, Arizona. And so when I got to LA, uh, the first day I got there, I looked around and there was like two people in the church. And, uh, and the reason why, they said, well, pastor, normally we have 18, but they heard that you were the pastor that got voted in and that, and that you were 20 years of age. And the rest of the people thought they were getting Tommy Barnett. They misunderstood the voting, and they thought they got Tommy Barnett, and they got Matthew Barnett. I said, well, you've seen the father, you've seen the son, right? I was just trying to... <laughs> they weren't convinced, I don't know. Man, I went through three months of failure. I went through three months that turned into three years of going backwards, and you guys you know, can write the book on church growth. I can write the book on church reduction. I mean... <laughs> I remember one night looking out, and I saw one car pulling up in our parking lot, and I said, Lord, thank you. Somebody's showing up to our Sunday night service. And I got my Bible, and I was getting ready to walk out to preach, and the car pulled up. A family um, was, was walking, and uh, they went right to the church, and then they just turned left, and they went right to the liquor store that was next to the church. <laughs> and so I just went right with them because I was so discouraged. No, I just better... And man, it was, it was so tough. And then finally one night, God spoke to me. He said, I want you to stop your crying. I was weeping on my bed for hours. He said, I want you to stop your crying. I want you to get up and I want you to take a walk through Echo Park. And I want you to walk through Skid Row. And that night, I took a six-hour prayer walk. I walked around the city of LA. And that night, I saw young men up against police cars being arrested. I saw helicopters that were looking for people and searchlights in the park. I went to Skid Row and saw thousands of homeless people everywhere in the park. And that night, God spoke a word to me that changed my life. He said, I want you to give the rest of your life to the broken and the hurting in Los Angeles. I want you to use every influence that you have, every pastor friend, that, and I want you to give it to the kids who have no influence in the community. And God spoke to me a word that changed my life. He said, I want you to die to your dream of being a success, and I want you to live to the dream of being a blessing. And that night... God began to take the bondage and the striving away. And this is what I realized. When you commit yourself to the longevity of a dream, there's encouragement in that. Because you know what? Because if you don't get everything overnight, you've got time. Amen? 
I mean, I've had some bad weeks, but I'm like, big deal. I've given my whole life to this cause, right? I've given my whole life uh, to, our, to our family and our marriage. We, we're in it to the end. We're in it to win it. And there's a certain kind of freedom knowing that, that there are, there's time in the vision to keep going forward. And, uh, and so I came into myself. I went back to the church, and, um, and I said, but God, I have nothing. Where do I start? He said, start with what you have. I said, I don't have any staff members. They all left me. I'm all by myself. And he said, okay, I want you to take your desk and move it on the sidewalk and talk to all the mamas in the neighborhood that come by and buy as many food bags as you can with your own money and give them away to the mothers and tell them that you love them. So I moved my desk on the sidewalk, and every day the mamas in the neighborhood would come by, and I'd be, and I'd be like, hola, abuelo. Uh, they, they would say, hola, abuelo to me. Hola, abuelo. And I'd be like, hola. And, uh, and I'd give them away some food, and they would come back second week, and they would go, hola, abuelito, which means little whitey in Spanish. And, and I'd, give, I'd just give away food, and I'd buy those cheap little soccer balls at the garment district for like three bucks, you know, and, um, and, and I'd just play soccer with the kids, and we had a little old dirt lot we turned into a weight pile, and you know what began to happen? I began to love where I was at on the way to where I was going. I didn't want anything else. I all I wanted to be was in that moment, and, and I thought the ministry was the greatest thing in the world. We had a dirt lot, old basketball hoop that we filled with sand, you know, the old Kmart ones you used to fill with water and sand. And uh, we had three-on-three -three basketball leagues and a uh, little, little wall. We let gang members begin to write their art on there and all that. And, uh, <laughs> man, it just, it wasn't everything. But at that time, when your heart is in the cause and the purpose that God has given you. And you don't base everything on a five-year plan. You just trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct thy path. There's freedom in those 12 words. You acknowledge him and what you do and the influence that you have wherever it's at, and he shall direct thy path. And I begin to realize that the greatest thing that ever happened in my life was my dream went to rock bottom. And sometimes your dream has to go to rock bottom. God doesn't destroy people in rock bottom. He recreates people in rock bottom. And I felt it so strong when I was driving up here today. I said, there's somebody that is in this building this morning. Your dream, your business went to a place of rock bottom recently. I'm telling you, God doesn't destroy people in rock bottom. He recreates people. And God's about to recreate you if you learn to value the, the leftover pieces that you have. And you stay in, you fight, and you outlast everything. You outlast your greatest regret. You outlast your greatest pain. Everyone all the time is saying, Pastor, um, uh, how do you change? Nobody can ever change their past. Yes, you can. I'm here to tell you, there is actually a way that every person here in this room can change your past. Don't let culture tell you you can't change your past. You can. By changing what you do right now, tomorrow will be your past. You can change your past by changing something today that will be your past tomorrow. If anybody understand what I just said, please explain it to me after service. I'm, no, I'm just teasing. But, uh, and so we start giving away stuff to the neighborhood, and, uh, and then people start coming to church. And, and uh, then we got a bus route. I'm busting 60 people from Skid Row, and we had 62 in our church at one time. So um, 60, 60, 99 point whatever percent of my church was from Skid Row. So I'd be get up there preaching a sermon. You know, I'd be like, you need to have faith. And then people would be fighting over here. And so I changed my sermon. I was like, I was like the Eminem, the eight mile of preachers. I could change my sermon on a heartbeat, you know, and uh, like freestyling. And uh, I, I stopped preparing my notes. I just let whatever was going on in the crowd determine what I was going to preach on, you know. Moral purity, no violence, you know, and... Uh, 
And people were, and it was all people from Skid Row, and, and they became my friends. And I began to ask them about what they needed. Mr. the pastor, we didn't want to go back to Skid Row. And we had a little house next to the church. I said, well, just come and stay in our house. And uh, we'll come, uh, come into our rehab program. They said, I don't, well, what is your rehab program? I said, I don't know. <laughs> just come to church. And come to Bible study with me in the morning, and then we'll just get it started. And we used that house, and the second house, and the third house, and the, whole, and the whole block was being filled. And I began to understand that if you just keep showing up one more day through the hard times and the struggle, and you forget about the results of what you want, but you just fall in love with faithfulness. You fall in love with being your best. You fall in love with having a good spirit. I didn't have a, a great building. I didn't have a big church, but I could have a good spirit. I can give that to God, and, and, uh, and suddenly... Uh, we're being to fill the houses in the neighborhood, and we outgrew the building. And one day, I'm driving down the Hollywood Freeway, and I see the biggest hospital I've ever seen in my life on the Hollywood Freeway, 400,000 square feet. And I saw the hospital. I pulled over. I said, this is interesting because it said for sale. I'm 23 years of age at that time and looking at that building. So we pulled over, and, uh, and so I walked in. They were filming movies in there and, like, everything. So I walk into the building. And I was trying to get in to have a meeting with the nuns. And I, I got in. I said, I'm interested in buying this building. How much is it? They said, do you have $16 million? Because Paramount wants to turn into a movie set studio. I said, no, I don't have that. But I have a dream. They weren't impressed. And they kicked me out of the building and wouldn't even allow me to get a tour of the building anyways. So what did you do? Well, I found myself a back door when nobody was looking. And I saw a cracked open door. Sometimes the Lord will literally give you an open door, you know. And security guard wasn't looking. I snuck in the building, and I gave myself a tour of the building anyways. One of your security guys came up to me and said, I remember that day where you snuck in the building and into security. He was actually there. One of your security guys, on that day, I was there. I'm walking through the building, 15 stories, and God begins to speak to me. He said, this right here is going to be a floor for homeless people that need a place to go. This will be for people who have drug and alcohol problems. This floor right here will be for prostitutes who need to get their life back together again and runaway street kids and all of this. And God began to share the vision. And then I walked up to the roof. I found myself that the door in the rooftop, went to the roof, looked over at L.A. and Hollywood. This is what God spoke to me. He said, the pimps can work 24 hours a day. If the adult film industry can be open all hours of the day, if in the middle of the night, the liquor stores can be open all hours a day, why not build a church that will be open 24 hours, seven days a week? And God spoke to me and said, I'm going to give you this building. And I look back, and if God would have given me my five-year dream, if my dream didn't go to rock bottom, we wouldn't have anything that we have right now. I would not have loved the people that I love right now. I would have not had a compassion for people that are in the prison system like I do right now. All of that happened because of the beauty of broken dreams. The beauty of thinking that everything that I wanted fell apart when the reality was the greatest dreams that you dream are dreams that you don't even know that you had that only brokenness and loss and serving can reveal within you. There are dreams that you think you have, but there are dreams on the inside that God has given you that only come through a place of brokenness and giving it to God. And so we talked to the church, Catholic church, and um, we, we had a meeting with them and we, we told them what our vision was and, and the sisters were so touched. They said, well, we're going to sell it to Paramount for 16 million, but go ahead and make us an offer. And I looked at my dad. He looked at me. We had $50,000 a year coming into our offerings. I mean, we had more lotto tickets than we did offering, you know, and uh, 
And so I, I turned, and, uh, and, I, and we just said 3.9 million off the top of our head, not even a plan. We thought we had a, like an 0.1% chance. And they said, okay, we'll take your deal right there. $3.9 million. And we were rejoicing. We said, God just gave us that billing for $3.9 million. And then we said, oh my goodness, $3.9 million is still a lot of money in 1996. And we didn't know what to do, and, uh, and we were so discouraged, and we tried the best that we could. We, we were in the building for 18 months, and uh, we turned on the pipes. They all busted. We had a, a big old, like, uh, flood that took place, and, uh, and there's two guys that were very negative. They were men that were attending my dad's church in Arizona who hated L.A. Their idea of L.A. would be uh, they sh- that L.A. should be destroyed and rebuilt. They, ha- they hated the city of L.A., They felt it was a bad investment to go there, and they told us all about it, and they left our church in Phoenix because of starting a church in downtown L.A., thinking, again, it was a waste of resources. And so these guys were in town in business, and they said, we want to come by and see what you're doing. The first thing that came to my mind is I went on a negative guy throwing cold water on the dream, and so I found every reason why I wasn't available to give them a tour. (laughs) One day God spoke to me and said, come on, open up the door, let them come by. So they came by. They were walking around, kind of very stoic the whole time. And I showed them, like, a few of the guys who lived at the program's testimonies. They were like, ah, oh, that's good. And then when it was over, the guy, uh, the, the big doubter, came up to us and said, uh, Pastor, I want to meet with you guys tonight at dinner. Uh, could you meet me on Denny's at Sunset Boulevard? <laughs> Denny's at Sunset and Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah. A rich guy. Okay, whatever. I mean, there's going to be a deal going on or something here? I don't know what's going to happen. But, uh, and so we met him there, and then he began to tell the he said, Pastor, when I saw what God put in your heart to do, I was the biggest skeptic, but when I saw those men talking about their lives are being free and, and what you want to do in this building, he said, my heart broke, and God convicted me, and he got mad. I got, I got mad at myself for standing in the way of, of God's vision. He started trembling. He said, Pastor, would you please forgive me for standing in the way of the vision of the Lord? And he wrote out a check, and he gave me a million dollars. And I said, brother, you are forgiven in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I'm like, he said, he said, I got a son. He's got as much money as I do. You tell him he's forgiven too. And uh, $2 million came in from the greatest skeptics. And I began to get emails coming in, people saying, why are you doing this? You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't build a ministry like this. Um, it's reckless. It's, it's horrible. I'm reading these emails, and to be honest with you, I'm not even mad at the people that are doubting my vision. I'm like, you're absolutely right. This doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> and so I took that, that, those emails, and I put the pros and the cons of why we should buy this building. And the pros were, um, the, the cons were, on that side, were 80% of my staff are ex-cons. So that's a big one right there. And uh, another one is no money. And, and the cons were like stacking up, like pages. Okay, and then I said, what are, the, what are the pros? I couldn't think of one until one came to mind, and that is, Holy Spirit put it there, and that is, what if? What if you walk down this road and it happened? What if you walk down this road and one day you would meet somebody like Pastor Jensen Franklin who had the ability to do what you can't do to keep a hospital alive and became the largest contributor times 10 of anybody who's ever come through our mission. What if you had a vision that was compelling that people like that would get behind? What if you did build a 24-hour place? And I looked at the what if versus the page of all the cons and 
I realize that your pros and cons in life don't have to add up for it to be God. They don't have to line up perfectly. Oftentimes they don't. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but you keep going. The idea doesn't make sense. There's a good chance it might make history. And you know what I decided to do? Not get mad at any doubters. In fact, I love, I love the haters. I'm not even mad at them because I agreed with them. But you and I decided rather than being angry at them, I just leave an open door for one day if they ever wanted to come back and be a part of the vision. And I begin to just dial into a different soundtrack. And that was the call of God, what God called me to do. Everybody here has a soundtrack of their life, a soundtrack of their calling, a sound by which God has given you to stay true to the vision. Like, like the old commercials, you know, the headphones, they put the headphones on and, uh, and everyone would be yelling at the athletes and uh, they would walk in, they would put their headphones on, right? And they would, they would drown out the crowd because they would get lost in, in the sound of the moment and they would tune out everything around them. You've got to tune out everyone. You got to, sometimes you have to tune out people that love you and have your best interest in mind, but yet they don't know what God's put in your heart. And you've got to love them and say, thank you. You genuinely care, but God has put a what if in my heart. What if we did something in business that can transform compassion? What if we became the first person and you, and you entertain that? So, you, so everyone here in this room, Here's a soundtrack of your life. You've got to listen to the beat of the calling that God has given you. Stay, fight, survive. Sometimes 24 more hours you give God of ordinary stuff where nothing great's going on. It's good enough. Everything in life, most of our days are days where we're in the middle between the anointing and the appointing. We have this great anointing in our life that we're told of a promise, and there's this great appointing, and there's all this in-between time. But, you, but we, we, I have got to learn to value the in-between time, the time between the anointing and appointing, that time in the middle where you're struggling to fight for stamina and the program. Men in our recovery program that went that are here today, you came in the program with excitement, and then you're going to graduate. But I know in the middle, there's a lot of people that are going to tell you, how in the world can you come into one program and give yourself for a whole year being sober, but you got to... Ah, I caught you off guard. Hey, no, no. <laughs> got to stay. At last, endurance. Stay at it one more day. The miracles in the next step that you think you can't take. You just, you just walk forward. Have you ever felt like the life was over and you got the next morning and you felt kind of encouraged to go on? That's not a good night's sleep. That's God. That's God reminding you he has new mercies for you every morning. During the pandemic, we thought ministry was over, to be honest. We thought it was done. And uh, we were discouraged because we lost one5 million dollars of like ordinary income that would come into our ministry overnight. I mean, we have 700 people living in our building, $12 million a year. None of it's government funded because we don't want them telling us we can't talk about Jesus, right? So we lost all that overnight. And um, so we, we were just devastated by all of that that took place. And I told God, it's over. I said, God, it's been a good run. Have you ever told God it's been a good run? <laughs> Man, if it all ended today, it would be beautiful, wasn't it? Together, Lord, we did some great things, you know, and God, telling God it's over. This is what I love about God. God is so kind that he will oftentimes meet you at the point of your dysfunctional rationale. And God lovingly just came to that moment of my drama and exaggeration 
And he came to me and he said, well, if you think it's over, why don't you go out the same way you started? You started by giving away food on the sidewalk to families, and, and now it can come to an end with you giving away food on the sidewalk. You know, go out fighting, go out serving. If you're going to go out, go out making a difference. I thought, well, that's a good principle. And so I went to the team and I said, guys, uh, do you have any food left over? They said, we got enough for one day. And I said, great, you know, we'll put food out there. It's three days into the pandemic. And we didn't think anybody would come by the drive-thru and get food. And so we just kind of sent out a message. And we had like three people show up and then five families and and then 10, and then like overnight, it was like 200 families. And then people started like uh, sending tweets on it uh, all over Twitter. Go to the Dream Center, like celebrities I never even knew before. We're like, go to the Dream Center if you need food. Everyone's just sitting at home, and uh, they're just like texting me, go to the Dream Center. I'm like, what in the world is going on, you know? And, uh, and, and then suddenly, it was like 500 families, 1,000, and the drive through was going on. And these men in the recovery program during that time, they ended up feeding 5 million people in 380 days. On the drive, five, all in the kitchen with guys that were struggling, the guys that were serving out of their own struggles, serving out of their pain. Don't say when I get it all together, then I'll serve. You serve. Don't waste your pain. Serve out of your pain. Serve out of your struggle. Help others. Even when you feel like a hypocrite, go out and help somebody else. And, I, and so we were just, and, and the food line started forming. We were freaking out. We're like, what is going on? And I told God, I said, God, remember I told you I'm going to retire, right? God's like, yeah, 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 but make sure, you know, feed these people over here. God's like diverting my attention away from retiring because I'm over there. And these lines are forming. And I already quit. How many here know there's life after you've chosen to give it up? There's life after giving up. I gave up. I found there's life after giving up. It's just one more day of serving, one more day of feeding. And, and these, these miracles started happening. I, I get, we get a phone call at the Dream Center. They say, um, uh, several years ago, they get a call. And they said, Kanye West wants to donate to the Dream Center. You heard about you guys feeding. I'm like, Kanye West? Yeah, he wants to donate to the Dream Center. I'm like, okay, this is random. This is strange, you know? And, uh, and so he's like, yeah. He goes, you guys uh, uh, give food away in the name of Jesus? I'm like, yep. He goes, because if you do, I want to give you guys $50,000 we're giving away food in the name of Jesus. I'm like, Jesus, Jesus Christo. I'm thinking of every language. <laughs> Out of the blue, just I want to help you guys. And then I'm sitting back. I'm like, no, 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 no. Wait till I get my money. <laughs> but strange things started to happen out of nowhere. Just by somebody who already quit in his mind, but inside knew that there's still some miracle space left. Miracle space is a space between what you can do and what you can't do. If all you do is what you can do, this is how much space left. This is your task and this is your power. If they line up, we oftentimes think it's God. Well, my power and task line up. It must be God because I can do it. No, the secret is to create some miracle space between what you can do and what you can do. And that's where God gets the glory. If you only do what you can do, you'll give yourself the glory. But if you create some miracle space, then God gets the glory. Many times that miracle is just in showing up. I close with this. Sometimes I close five or six times in a message, but this is the real closing right here. We have youth groups that come in and do like mission trips and stuff. And there's this guy that was living under the bridge for 18 years. And he lived there for so long. His favorite scripture was, I shall not be moved. He lived under the bridge for 18 years. And he didn't want anyone to help him. People were offering him money. Outreach teams, people would come by. Hey, you know, if you listen to me, 
um, I'll buy you lunch or whatever. It's just nothing worked in all these years. He was in, he was homeless and he didn't want to move. And one day, um, this, this girl came in town on a youth group um, trip and she said, I heard there's a man that's homeless living under the bridge. I want to go talk to that man and bring him to the dream center. And I thought, well, this teenage kid, you know, good luck, right? I, I thought that, but I didn't say that because my dad always taught me that you know, if you don't think somebody can do something, you never discourage their vision because it could be from God. You might be wrong. So instead, just smile even if you don't believe them and say, well, brother, praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I want to go into your rehab program. Well, brother, praise the Lord. Amen. And, uh, and so she, uh, she went out and found him on the streets, p- picked him up and said, sir, you're coming to the Dream Center. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And she literally grabbed him by the hand and dragged him to the Dream Center. And uh, he was standing in our food line. We're ready to get food. And uh, I said, how did you do it? She said, well, my youth pastor tells me that we ought to compel people to come into the house of the Lord. And that word compel means to physically force them into the house of God. Uh, sometimes you got to go gangster for Jesus, right? It's in West Coast version NLV. Yeah. And, and this guy would come by, he would get food every day. He didn't want to change, he just wanted free food, wanted to go under the bridge, didn't want to hear anyone um, talk about Jesus, pray for him, nothing, just wanted free stuff. And I was getting mad, I'm like, God, this guy's just getting free stuff, he's just using us, and he doesn't want to hear the gospel, he's not, we're not being good stewards or a resource, and all these Christian things we make up that aren't in the Bible. And I'm guilty of them. And, um, and he said, uh, and God spoke to me, he said, let this man use you. Let him get all the free food that he wants, whatever he wants, just let him use you. Because if you want to be a bridge of hope to the world, you've got to allow yourself to be walked on if you want to be a bridge. Let him use you, and he did. But one day, one day he said, I want to go into your rehab program. Now, our rehab programs are not like the ones in Malibu where they have whirlpools and pedicures and massages and horse riding back therapy, no. I mean, ours is like, it's a free program. It's one year. It's beans and rice in Jesus Christ, right? That's what I did. And, um, and he said, I'm going to your program. I'm like, praise the Lord. And this guy graduated our program, went on to Bible school, graduated Bible school, and now Homeless Barry is now a pastor on our staff, and he's a licensed minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's 18 years, but you hang in there. You keep reaching, serving. Good things will happen. Don't lose hearts. Do not grow weary in well-doing. In due season, you will reap if you faint not. There are checkpoints to blessing that you got to get through in life. And hang in there long enough and get to that place where you can see the miracle and fulfillment that God has for you. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.